0: Welcome to Locally Grown In, a podcast on a mission to help entrepreneurs growing food locally. Every episode, we'll explore local agriculture in a different city. I'm your host, Henry Gordon-Smith, and I'm here with my co-host today, Yara Najee. How are you doing, Yara?
1: I'm good. I'm back.
0: You're back. It's true. You were gone for a little while. We were both gone, actually, for a little while. Uh, Where were we?
1: We were in... Dubai. Listen to that episode for more context.
0: Yeah, definitely check out the Dubai episode. Now you're back for another one. And actually, Yar and I just recently got back from Atlanta as well. We produced the Atlanta Conference for our third year in a row, which was pretty crazy. And that's an event we do with the city of Atlanta. Definitely listen to the Atlanta episode if you haven't yet. Uh, Yar, what were some of your takeaways from our big event in Atlanta?
1: Yeah, I can't believe it's been three years, firstly. I would Definitely say my favorite, favorite part of Atlanta was the diversity in the people, the participants, the farmers, and really just the passion and the energy around urban farming. You know, the mayor's office supports it, you have all the citizens there that are really into the whole idea of urban farming and see it in the future of the city. So, that's definitely my favorite part.
0: Yeah, I agree it was just so inspiring to see black farmers to see women on stage to really see the diversity and that was a big part of our mission But what I thought was most incredible was that we got that feedback, you know, like we're we're looking through some of the survey responses and people really saw the same things that we did. And it seems like we achieved our goal. So we're really looking forward to continually improving that because it's so important that we recognize that the food system itself is diverse from farms that are soil based to greenhouses to vertical farms, but also the farmers and the people that are leading the way are diverse themselves as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. You want to understand the communities that you're feeding and, you know, um, just kind of understand what they need and what they eat for sure it all relates so this week we're featuring another great city Toronto and I'm very excited about this it's one of my favorite cities it's a city that we've worked in before we've had a project there and Henry you have a lot of connections to Toronto as well right
0: that's right I uh, lived in Toronto for a couple of years And uh, one of our advisory board members, Lauren Baker, is an ex-Toronto food policy member and lives in Toronto. So we're going to be interviewing her on this episode, which I'm excited about. And I'm also going to Toronto on May 15th to speak at the Agritech Venture Forum. I'm going to be speaking about local food systems and how investors can really understand and strategize their investments in the local food system. So lots to be excited about in Toronto. Yeah, so we can't really talk about Toronto or T.O. Or The Six. It's called The Six.
1: Well... Yeah, it's called The Six. Uh,
0: According to Drake, right? (laughs) Or should I know this?
1: You should definitely know this.
0: Well, I mean, I only lived there for a couple of years, but certainly Drake is the most famous person from Toronto I'm aware of.
1: Drake is the Prince of Toronto, if I may, you know. Um.
0: (laughs) I wonder if Drake, I wonder if Drake Gardens in Toronto.
1: I was about to ask, do we think Drake likes local food?
0: Drake, are are you listening? Are you listening? If you are, we need you to grow more local food. Uh, What's your favorite Drake song, Yara?
1: Honestly, I cannot choose one. I really like when he he dropped this mixtape during the summer once. It was very tropical. Lots of good vibes.
0: (laughs) Whoa, you're like a Drake expert.
1: (laughs) Potentially, yeah.
0: (laughs) So he dropped a mixtape in the middle of summer, and it was like a secret one, or was it like a...
1: No, no, no. It was like an album, but he called it a mixtape because it was super long, and it was basically like a playlist of weir- really weird tropical music.
0: I'm trying to look for the one I like. I think I like Headlines. I know that's very mainstream, but that's just who I am. And then what's that other one? Uh, know, what's my name, like Rihanna? Oh na What's my name? Oh na What's my name? Oh na Okay, that's that's that one. Okay. So now Yara and I are going to get into some of the data that we found as we were researching Toronto. Toronto is considered one of the most multicultural cities in the world. Uh, Over 140 languages are spoken and over 50% of the population was born in another country. So that really is a huge part of the vibrancy and the diversity of both the food culture and the urban culture of Toronto.
1: So if we think about a city that's that diverse, you think about how people can connect as well. And food is typically a really interesting medium for that connection. So there are a lot of community gardens in Toronto. Um, uh, The government is also a big supporter of these community gardens and allows for people to connect over food. And I think that's something that's really special in that city in specific.
0: And so what these community gardens serve as is really these places to integrate, right? So if you're an immigrant moving to a new country and you're trying to learn English, for example, in Canada, these community gardens can be a great place to share the food you grow, to learn the English language, and also learn about the culture in Canada. And you see that all across the board in Toronto. The problem is, is that when winter comes, these community gardens actually can't deliver on that promise. And so on one of the projects we were working on in Toronto, we talked all about this new idea of the smart community garden. This, the idea that you would take an unused indoor space and turn it into a community garden year-round. So no matter what, if an immigrant came from India, let's say in the winter time, they could grow their food in the smart community garden and also share that with their Canadian neighbors or the other immigrant neighbors and really start to integrate into the community. And Canada has done such a good job with integration and they have evidence that food does this. So we think this is kind of the next step, which I think is a really clever idea that you and I came up with um, in the terms of this project. So next up, we're gonna hear from Lauren Baker. Lauren has a PhD and over 20 years of experience working on food system issues. She's worked on agrobiodiversity in Mexico and also worked on municipal farm programs. Specifically, Lauren worked on the Toronto Food Policy Council, and now she consults with the Global Alliance for the Future of Food. Lauren is also a board member at Agriculture Consulting, and we're so happy to be speaking with her today. How are you doing, Lauren?
2: Great, how are you, Henry? Yeah,
0: good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I know you've been traveling a lot, uh, but you're back in Toronto and that's what we're gonna be talking about.
2: Great, yeah, it's fun to connect on the Toronto topic of urban agriculture.
0: Exactly, so can you tell us a little bit more about the Toronto Food Policy Council and specifically the GrowTO action plan that was developed?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Toronto Food Policy Council is a citizen advisory group Um, It was established in 1991 to really address um, some of the kind of underlying structural causes of food insecurity in in Toronto. Um, City Council was concerned about the rising numbers of food banks and the kind of institutionalization of food banks. I wanted to look at, you know, other uh, ways to improve um, food security across the city. So it's kind of unique, the, the Toronto Food Policy Council, because it is formally embedded within the city. It's a subcommittee of uh, the Board of Health. So mm. it's linked directly to Public Health, which is a division in the, in the city, uh, like a city department. Um, the TIPC has a small staff group that's linked to the Toronto Food Strategy Team. And has really, um, you know, it's a really interesting model because it's citizen led and through this unique partnership between you know folks across the food system in toronto and the city um i think toronto has been able to kind of make some advancements um around food systems improvements Mm -hmm. um one of the things that's always been on the agenda um for food policy council members is uh, urban agriculture and um the grow to um urban agriculture action plan to Toronto's urban agriculture action plan um, was endorsed by city council um, who directed city staff to create the Toronto urban the Toronto agriculture program and that's kind of like a Coordinating function across the city. Um, you know, how has it influenced local food systems in Toronto? That's a really interesting question because I think there are still significant barriers to, to urban agriculture in the city. You know, GrowTO and the Food Policy Council have had a significant intru- influence on the local food system. Um, but the question is, you know, always, you know, what, can, what more can we do? How can we really create more enabling conditions to support this kind of activity? um, uh, across the city.
0: Yeah, I think definitely policy leadership is one of the things we think of when we think about Toronto and urban ag, I think another aspect is, is diversity. Obviously it's a very diverse system, but one of the things we've been reading a lot about is how the community gardens there serve a specific purpose, one purpose, which is to kind of integrate immigrants and help immigrant communities connect. Do you think that the kind of the work of growTO or the food policy council, has had an impact on that are we seeing are we seeing more of that are we seeing a recognition of for example that impact
2: absolutely i mean toronto has a really well established uh community garden program um and there is a an explicit goal to have you know at least one community garden in every ward across the city Um, so you know this is one of the really unique elements um of, of toronto is the kind of cultural Um, diversity and when I first became involved in this work and uh, learned about Toronto's community gardens I was really struck by the incredible link between um, cultural diversity and and kind of agricultural biodiversity in in the city context like people are growing so many interesting things
0: and so the Toronto Food Policy Council was the first of its kind really in a major city right
2: Yes, I think there was one in the states first, but definitely the first that was, um, you know, connected and embedded within municipal government.
0: And that model, I think you already communicated the uniqueness of that model. Is that also part of what makes it the first? The fact that it was this kind of citizen-led council?
2: Yeah, citizen-led council, but also the fact that it has, you know, city staff support, um, that it's really embedded in kind of um, municipal government um structurally so it's actually a subcommittee of the of the local council
0: yeah it almost sounds like the ideal mix between bottom up and top down right because you've got people on the ground you've got real citizens real residents but then they have access to the politicians in a way that's you know not so much a, a big city council meeting with people having 30 seconds to say their their idea but you know to tell us a little bit more about how you could really connect with the the, the leadership.
2: Your description of um, the kind of top down, bottom up uh, processes is a really good one um, because through the Food Policy Council, um, the kind of food um, sector stakeholders, food movement stakeholders can organize and coordinate themselves, develop shared priorities. That team can, um, you know, support the council members to move those priorities forward, link to um, the appropriate staff. Connect into the leadership, and whenever that process doesn't happen smoothly th- through the bureaucracy, the citizen, you know, advisory committee can, you know, go mm-hmm. to the mayor or their elected representatives and say, "Hey, listen, you know, you're not doing a good enough job."
0: Is that is that one of the greatest things that people can take from what Toronto has done?
2: Um, well, I think you know this idea of kind of cross sectoral collaboration and you know a partnership with the city. you know is one of the key takeaways and people talk about um you know cross-sectoral collaboration and alliance building but of course you know it's hard it's hard work and i think what i learned in toronto is that um you know that work needs coordination and support and um also you know part of um the the history in toronto is that the folks around the table the kind of constant mix of new people coming into um, working in the food system in one way or another, or coming to the table of the Food Policy Council, and those who have been around the table for a while, leads to this kind of um, really interesting, I always call it like city city um, government 101 literacy, like people really know how to work the system
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: um, in Toronto. And it, you know, it's not, like, not to say there, there aren't challenges, but I think um, that's a really important takeaway: is that you you do need to understand the system, and you do need to spend you know committed time on collaboration on finding shared priorities. It's not easy work, and need to see the city as a partner, um, you know, in all of the, that complexity. Um, you know, another thing is that there are real structural forces <laughs> that you know uh, prevent um, us from addressing food insecurity, you know, really squarely. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, in Toronto and elsewhere, we have growing, you know, corporate concentration in the retail sector, which makes, which, Mm. you know, is a barrier to to improving um, food security. We have rising land values, which is a barrier to urban agriculture. You know, we don't have a perfect um, land use and zoning um, context in Toronto. So, you know, you know, it's not perfect. And we also have issues that we see all across um, North America and Europe, like the racialization of poverty and food insecurity. So, um, you know, I think we've learned about cross-sectoral collaboration and we've also been confronted by some of those broader structural forces that prevent us from really uh, moving forward um, to address uh, food security. The other, the other, um, uh, I think, accomplishment or or approach that's really necessary is to really think about advocacy at higher levels so a food policy council of course is grounded in city government or working at the local or regional level on kind of city region food systems but a lot of those bigger thorny issues require other levels of government to kind of come to the table Mm -hmm. so the food policy council allows um, people to kind of organize both locally but think you know strategically about other advocacy opportunities.
0: So you spoke a bit about those barriers some really interesting ones including the rise of retail and also real estate but one of the ones you mentioned was still you know zoning essentially Mm -hmm. recognition of urban ag as a use and and really want to hear from you since you've been working in food systems for over 20 years you know what what do you think the biggest challenges are for urban and CA farms in Toronto?
2: One of the main barriers is um, access to land in the city of Toronto. So I mentioned rising, you know, property values. Toronto is a really vibrant city, so um, land values are really high, which makes mm-hmm. it really hard for urban farmers to kind of enter the market through conventional means of like buying a property or renting a property. Yeah. So I think we really need to, um, you know, work creatively to make land available um and also think about making public land available to for for urban agriculture activities one of the best opportunities actually um, is to integrate urban agriculture into new development moving forward yes. and um, you know we have a very interesting partnership um, with a small consulting company called hoffman hayes here in toronto that works with you know some of our largest um developers like Daniels and Tridell mm. and they're bringing in urban agriculture features as um, kind of condo amenities in a sense building amenities so what does that look like if we really you know take that to its full potential um, you know I think then we see cities being designed really differently and in very exciting ways in terms of building resilience and meeting our broader su- sustainability uh, objectives
0: so i think that point on real estate is a really interesting one you know on our dubai episode we visited the sustainable city that's bringing an ag into their real estate at the atlanta conference we had a whole session on agriburbs and i really see that as a i agree with you it's a major major part of the path forward because that does solve the land issue right if we can make a case for real estate developers to include urban agriculture and that it's a benefit to them then that solves a lot of the access issues that new urban farmers face. So I guess could you give us a hint of some of the things you're learning about as you talk with developers and?
2: Well, some of the fun projects that I've seen are, you know, condo developments that are really food focused. So building in gardens and kitchens and balconies that can support, um, you know, micro production. Um, public and common space that has, um, you know, urban agriculture features. So I think these are the kinds of things that actually people are looking for in their um, built environment. And if, I think if we extend that um, through our our cities, then we can see, you know, integrated landscape design that includes urban agriculture, like urban orchards and boulevards with urban agriculture. Um, and so it's not like it has to be only urban agriculture, but right now we don't really even consider urban agriculture as part of our green infrastructure. And um, I think that's where the kind of opportunities lie in terms of really thinking about all the co-benefits of, of um, you know, access to food and you know, um, economic opportunity and food security and you know, right. stormwater, <laughs> stormwater <laughs> runoff absorption, all that stuff. Right? Like, there's so many. Um, opportunities and co-benefits for that kind of design
0: yeah absolutely I I, I was um, in San Francisco speaking at the American Planning Association to a bunch of planners and Michael Grove from Sasaki was there and they were talking about a survey they had done um, of about 4,000 urban residents and they asked questions like would you go to a new neighborhood to explore the following and they asked you know to see a, a new sports team or to see a music venue or any of that and the highest percentage of responses was around food going to see going to a new restaurant you know it it does drive us and you're in you we can all kind of feel the shift that's happening around cities and i like what you said about it being food infrastructure as well not just the farms but you know places to do cooking classes places to learn about other aspects of the food system or ones that are designed for health and well-being relaxation you know all of that you see all the articles coming about biophilia and how it's healing us so you know it's really it's about taking a broader look at how you can integrate uh, agriculture and food systems into the, the built environment. So I think it's really exciting. I think that we're, we are seeing a shift there and, and lots of valuable information here, Lauren, from you. Really, really appreciate your time today. If you wanna learn more about Lauren Baker, you can go to laurenbaker.ca and definitely check out her work and her experience and be sure to, to follow what she's up to. Thanks so much for your time, Lauren.
2: Thanks, Henry, great to connect with you today.
0: Now, I'm joined by Christopher Wong, the founder of Young Urban Farmers, partner of The Growing Connection, and former member of the Toronto Food Policy Council. Christopher also worked for the Toronto Youth Policy Council and is obviously really interested in accelerating youth urban agriculture. I'm also joined by Laura Headley, who works to create a broader awareness around urban ag. Laura recently joined a peri-urban farm that grows directly for chefs. She's working on the harvest side of the business and we've also been following a lot of her work online, so excited to talk to her. How are you both doing, Christopher and Laura? Great. I'm doing
4: great, thank you for having, having me and having us.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to talk with you today.
0: Yeah, you know, our podcasts at Locally Grown are all about um, talking to the people on the ground, and so that's what we really wanna hear from you today, so I'm excited to dive into these questions. Let's start with you, Laura. Laura, you have an interesting approach because you come from a design background. Can you tell us about how you made the connection between design and sustainability, and specifically urban agriculture?
3: sure yeah the connection for me was made during university um, i was studying at a design university and we were taking all of these critical design thinking courses uh, while living in the city of toronto and the university was like this giant think tank with creative people so on campus there was a culture and conversation that was beginning to form around sustainability so we were looking at our local context thinking about things like air quality, mobility, renewable power, infrastructure, food access, recycling waste processes, clean water, equitable economies, that sort of thing. And we were all really curious about how design can improve human and biological life. And for me, I was i was living in Toronto. It was like a concrete jungle. And uh, I had recently moved there for the university. And Um, I missed my connection with, with plants and with nature, and I was trying to think, what do we need in a city? And it just became really apparent that we all need food.
0: Thank you. It's always exciting to hear when there's interdisciplinary approaches to urban agriculture, you know, I think that when you're growing food in the city, that design thinking matters much more than if you're doing in a rural environment. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all there. But I think when you bring it to the city, you have those constraints, you've got the chaos of the city, that concrete jungle. It's really even more important to focus on that. Christopher, you're the founder of Young Urban Farmers. Can you tell us more about what Young Urban Farmers does now?
4: So Young Urban Farmers started off setting up raised beds for residential customers in Toronto, And we've expanded from there to do all different types of gardens. So to put it very briefly, I would say Young Urban Farmers is dedicated to helping people be more successful at growing their own food. We curate, we sell, we produce our own urban farming products. And the goal is to make it fun, make it simple, make it easy, and just give people that joy that comes from eating the freshest lettuce or the ripest tomatoes fresh and straight from the garden.
0: You know, Chris, do you think that there's more young people interested in urban agriculture than when you kind of first got into the movement?
4: Oh, most definitely. I started Young Urban Farmers in 2009, and this was at the height of the local food movement. This was when the 100-mile diet was really popular. And there were enough people that were interested and believed in what we were doing But over the last 10 years, I've really seen a significant increase in people of all backgrounds and, of course, especially Mm -hmm. in the youth who are interested in connecting with where their food comes from.
0: That's great to hear. We definitely need more people involved. And you've been also experienced in Toronto, obviously, in the Food Policy Council, but also in multiple different urban agriculture businesses. You just mentioned a new one where you're selling actually equipment to those urban farmers. We really want to understand the context of what's happening in Toronto more with urban ag. Can you talk a little bit about your involvement in some of these companies and and tell us who they are and what they're growing and what they're doing? Just give us a little bit of a showcase of what's happening in Toronto.
4: So Young Urban Farmers was the first business around urban agriculture that I started. And that was always and continues to be a for-profit business. But in addition to that, the following year after we started Young Urban Farmers, we saw that there was a need for people to get involved who might not have the financial means, who might not have the access to the space, who might not have the knowledge or the skill to do that. And that's when I started and co-founded another organization called Cultivate Toronto. And this is and was a, a nonprofit organization with the whole idea of growing food in backyards. So people who have larger, sunny backyards will provide us free access to their space, as well as access to the municipal water source from the property. We brought in and we bring in a, a team of volunteers who would convert and transform the, the yard. Typically it was lawn and grass into an, an intensive urban farm. And then we would sell the produce through a CSA or a community shared agriculture program. We ran that for many years. We extended to a number of neighborhoods across Toronto, but unfortunately, Uh, The organization has since closed down uh, due to a variety of factors, some of which was the volunteer burnouts. It was an entirely volunteer-run organization, and funding access to capital was one of the challenges that we faced as well. So that's a little bit about Cultivate Toronto. And then in the last two years, I recently became a partner in the Growing Connection. So the Growing Connection has a really interesting history. It started off as a program of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, where my colleague who was working at at the UN at the time, Rob Patterson, would go overseas and set up gardens to empower people to be able to grow fresh, healthy local foods. And the beauty of the program was that it was using portable containers. So we didn't, they didn't need to have expensive infrastructure There was no motors or pumps or electricities that, if they fail, then the whole program and the the whole growing uh, becomes untenable. And it was just built on the premise of providing a really simple, water-efficient, space-efficient solution to empower people to grow their own local, culturally appropriate foods.
0: So, you know, I I want to talk a bit more about urban agriculture in general. And, you know, we're trying to inspire people to get involved and help them avoid common mistakes. So what are some of the commonalities around the challenges that urban ag businesses face? And is there something that you see most commonly that urban ag entrepreneurs overlook?
4: When it comes to the different challenges that urban ag businesses face, I've listed a couple of things as I was thinking through what's the challenges that I faced uh, in the multiple organizations that, that I've had the opportunity and privilege to start and to run. The first one that has been a common theme has been funding and access to startup capital. So all of the organizations that I started were bootstraps. They involved very, very minimal investments and initial capital. For example, for Young Urban Farmers, it started off as three partners, And we each put in a couple hundred dollars each, and we used a lot of sweat equity. We went knocking door to door to try to find our initial customers, and we reinvested our profits. We've reinvested into uh, word-of-mouth marketing and encouraging our customers to tell their friends and their neighbors about us. And it's been really scrappy, very sort of guerrilla marketing tactics that we've employed to try to get these businesses up and running. Tied into that, I would say, would be a limited marketing budget. And so I think that for a lot of us in the food movement, we have so much passion, we have so much desire to share what it is that we do, but oftentimes we're speaking within our own community or we're having trouble to reach some of the broader people that are interested. Being able to find the right audience has been, has been one of the challenges. I think the last thing that I'll, that I'll mention briefly has been a lack of fundamentals or sometimes a limited fundamentals on business principles. Being a little bit more rigorous from a business and a, and a financial perspective is something that I've seen uh, happen where people have the best of intentions, they have the best energy, they have the right heart and spirit going into it but if they lose track of the business fundamentals, that can be one of the challenges.
0: So um, let's talk about some of the farming companies coming out of Toronto, some of the ones you haven't worked with, Chris. You know, going to Toronto relatively frequently, I've I've met with some of the urban farms and vertical farmers there that, that have been sprouting up. You know, are you seeing more of that? And what are some of the kind of the unique, the most unique approaches you're seeing emerge lately?
4: I think that Toronto as a center for multiculturalism and having a breadth and diversity of people literally from all over the world helps to breed and cross-pollinate different ideas that may not come together in other places. So to get back to your question, I think that some of the interesting things that I've seen over the past few years have been things like using shipping containers to utilize a really small footprint to be able to grow food, whether it's hydroponically or using aquaponics. One interesting project that I know has been, uh, they've had a lot of challenges with some of the bureaucratic, uh, getting everything lined up and getting everything improved has been the urban hydro corridor projects. So here in Toronto, we have acres of land that run across the city that's just hydro corridors and it's grass, and the city comes and mows this, and this prime space, full sun, um, beautiful uh, soil, has for a long time, and still is, um, restricted for urban farming projects. And it's such a shame, because we have this great open space, and so there's a lot of hardworking folks that are trying to get everything approved, get all of their I's dotted and their T's crossed, to enable access for people to be growing on this land. So that's one thing that I think is is really exciting. And I think that's also looking to the rooftops being a very dense city, especially in the downtown core. We have rooftops that have full sun, that have great growing spaces. That's especially if they're older buildings, they have the white mold capacity to support uh, a gardening projects. They have that space, which, for a whole variety of reasons, is is often underutilized. And what I'm really encouraged to see is different corporations and even different developers design this space. And let's think critically about how we can utilize this, whether it's as a community asset, whether it's for the tenants. But if we can grow some food, if we can animate this space that would be another thing that I'm seeing.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Laura? uh, Yeah.
3: Can I also share a few um, projects that I've seen come out that I think are really exciting?
0: Yeah, totally.
3: Two things that um, I've seen come out of Toronto recently um, that I'm really excited about is one, um, a business called We The Roots, Um, that is really interesting because they're using an old factory space in inner inner city and they've just um, set up an automated controlled environment um, that utilizes intervision light blades um, and plant production platforms. So this is really neat because it's a small intensive farm that um, is, is more or less automated and um it's i think the light technology that's been engineered is um yeah just something something fascinating because they're able to manipulate the light frequencies um to be able to create plant light recipes to optimize plant growth and nutrition and taste and the aesthetic so when i walked through this farm i could see the kale and the Swiss chard and the basil growing, and it was such like a dark, vibrant green. Um, it was like produce I hadn't seen uh, being grown in a city before, so that got me really excited and The other thing that I was recently introduced uh, to is a high school um, Don Mills collegiate institution that has mm. a green industries curriculum, and so there are high school students that are in grade eleven and grade twelve um, learning how to uh, grow food and raise beds, learning how to start seeds in a greenhouse. They're learning how to work with an aquaponic system. They're growing grapes on the high school property. They have 106 vine vineyard and they're growing potatoes and they're learning how to bake bread from scratch using an outdoor fired oven. And it's just, it's really awesome to see these um, students have the opportunity to learn about urban agriculture, to understand what it is, and to have the reward of eating and sharing food that they've personally grown. So when I walked through that high school, I was just so inspired, and I hope to see more of that spread throughout Toronto.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing those. You know, when you go to Toronto, you see that it's really at the scale of entrepreneurship that's happening in New York. Maybe not so much with the amount of VC funding that's coming to some of the bigger companies here, but you see the startup scene is really, really similar, which is, which is exciting. Laura, I want to ask you about design. You know, is this one of the gaps that you're focused on? And why is design thinking or your design expertise so critical when it comes to urban and and local agriculture?
3: The city creates uh, incredible challenges. Um, How do you work with limited space? How do you create, uh, gain access to that space? Um, What are the materials you can work with? Like, how do you grow food? Uh, unconventionally in a city? Do you use rooftops? Do you use um, facades of buildings? Uh, Do you use shipping containers? Um, uh, How can you think creatively about what people need in a city and how to go about producing it?
0: Thank you. So here's just a fun question for you. If you were to describe local agriculture in Toronto, in one word, what word would you use?
3: Expansive? Is that too airy?
0: No, what do you mean by expansive?
3: Uh, It just seems endless, the ways that we we can figure out and problem solve in the city.
0: Enormous potential. Thank you for that, Laura. Christopher, what about you?
4: I think the word that I would use to describe Toronto would be collaborative. The urban food and the local food community that I've discovered here in Toronto has been so friendly, And so that spirit of collaboration, that spirit of friendship has been something that has been really refreshing and really encouraging over the last many years that I've seen.
0: So we talked a lot about the present situation in Toronto, and now let's talk a little bit about the future. So this is how it's going to work, Yara. I'm going to talk about a goal that I found for the Toronto food system, and you're going to talk about some of the solutions you think that might achieve it. So this goal is from the ICIC, they look at inner cities, and they were looking at Toronto's resilience to climate change, specifically storms and floods and some of the common risks that happen there. And so the goal is a resilient food system in Toronto that provides all residents with adequate and equitable access to food within walking distance immediately after an extreme weather event. So definitely highlighting the risks of weather and some of the storms that can happen and how communities can respond to that by having food on site. What do you think?
1: I think that's honestly a really good opportunity for urban farms and cities for those local farms to come up and i think there's a lot of promise for that too in toronto i think it has all the right ingredients for a strong urban farming industry you have a good diversity of people you have some policy support and i think what the city needs to do more and more to kind of talk about the solution is to incentivize some of these urban farms.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think one incentive that would be really valuable is to incentivize real estate developers to include this. We know that Toronto has the most cranes of any city in North America. It's the top crane city. So that means they have the most condos. Don't laugh. It's a real statistic. People talk about crane cities. Look it up. But anyway, Toronto is the top crane city in North America, which means they're building the most condos and new developments developments and those developments are building without consideration of resilient food supply without achieving this goal. And so the city needs to step in, you know, almost similar to what New York did recently saying we're going to have roofs have required to have solar panels or green roofs. You could have developers required to have food on site to have indoor farms on site. And I think indoor farms are really a great opportunity because the winter is really so rough. I mean, I remember the cold and the wind. It's very, very difficult and impossible really to grow food year round outdoors in Toronto. So incentivizing indoor solutions, you know, you've got unused spaces and basements, that's one opportunity or rooftop greenhouses could be an opportunity, but I think connecting it to real estate is a big one and also connecting it to kind of the indoor farming piece.
1: Yeah, not to mention, obviously, to continue growing the community garden aspect of the city as well and finding that interconnectivity between those farms and the indoor farms as well and seeing how they can work hand in hand.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's so much uh, transferability between workforce, between the community gardens and the indoor farms. And then maybe the missing piece uh, or another piece to consider in this puzzle is the restaurants, right? We talked about, or at least we saw a lot about, and we know from going there, there's this really, really vibrant restaurant scene with so many different cultures, so many different flavors. And maybe there's something there that the restaurants could be incentivized to procure more local food, which will essentially strengthen the local farms when a storm happens, right? Because they actually have customers all the time.
1: Yeah, I really love that idea. I think that's a really interesting vision for the city as well and something that's possible.
0: Well, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today to Locally Grown in Toronto, Canada. Really exciting episode. We're glad you listened to our interviews, and thanks, Yara, for joining me today.
1: It is my pleasure.
0: We've got Brianna here on the audio, also doing double duty. Brianna, yeah, shout out to Brianna. Brianna does our audio and our editing, but she's also doing our research this week, helping us out to kind of look at the city of Toronto and the opportunities and challenges there. So thanks for that, Brianna. If you love this podcast, share it with your friend. Just share with them Locally Grown In and make sure you subscribe as well so you can get all of our future episodes. We're gonna be covering cities all around the world, more cities than you could dream of. Every single city in the world eventually is gonna be featured on Locally Grown In. Brianna, don't worry, you can handle it, you can handle it. Uh, Also be sure to follow us on social media so you get all the updates and all the news. We're doing many, many different things. Follow us at agritecture on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. You can find us even on LinkedIn if you're super profesh. And I really want to thank everyone for participating today, those who were featuring on our interviews. And I just want to thank Canada and Drake as well. Thanks for listening, y'all. Take care.